0: How are you today or tonight, everybody? Welcome to the Redheaded Preacher Podcast. I am the Redheaded Preacher, Richard Lanford, the pastor of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. And I'm grateful that you have chosen to spend a little bit of your time with us on this podcast. This message and the scriptures, of course, were shared with the congregation at St. Peter's on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. And the message is our rebellious heritage. These scriptures are read by Jennifer Schneider, and she's one of our she is our chair of our board of deacons, and she's going to read several scriptures that I chose for this message. It might seem a little longer than usual. She's telling a story in the verses that I chose from First Kings. That's the lengthier passage. Hang in there. It's got a, a great. Uh, it's a, just a great story, even. You know, I mentioned to my wife that maybe I should have cut some of those verses uh, when I was picking them out and sending them into uh, our lector. And she said, no, it was, it was a you know good to hear the story. It's an interesting story. So, if you don't know the story about Ahab and Jezebel and the Baal prophets <clears throat> and the prophet Elijah, you are in for a treat. The message, as I said, is our rebellious heritage. I talk a little bit Uh, about the heritage that both Christians and Jewish folks and uh, our forefathers in the revolution, how they were rebellious. But I don't stay with the revolution either. And you'll have to listen to find out what other instances that I lift up. Without uh, talking with you any further, I do want to offer up a brief word of prayer, and then we'll turn it over to Jen. Great God. We're thankful for the freedoms that you have given us as human beings. We're thankful for the times that they are established and secured by the governments that we are under. And we grieve when the human rights to which God has uh, imbued upon us as human beings are denied or cut short, qualified unnecessarily. So let us hear your word with open ears and sometimes perhaps respond with open mouths, guided by your spirit only. This blessing we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Jennifer, take it away.
1: Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Great and heavenly Father, we thank you for Shining your light down on us today, even in the form of raindrops and nourishment, for the earth to open up its, open itself to the rain that falls, Um, allow us to, help us to open our hearts as we listen to these readings that we are about to hear, as everything like the rain and nourishment comes from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. We begin with the first Kings, chapter 18, verses 17 through 24, then 36 through 40, and ending with the three verses of chapter 14. The opening context is that Israel is in the third year of a drought, for which the prophet Elijah has called in the presence of King Ahab. Elijah pays Ahab a visit. I'm going to read the readings, and then there's a short description to let you know what's happening in between the two chunks of the readings, so I will do that. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? He answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, have all Israel assembled before me at Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the Israelites and assembled the prophets at Mount Carmel. Elijah then came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even only I, am left a prophet of the Lord. The Baal's prophets numbered 450. Let two bowls be given to us. Let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire is indeed God. All the people answered, Well spoken! At this point, Elijah goes over the details of the contest, and the first Kings describes the failed attempts of Baal's prophets to provoke their god to light the wood on fire and consume the offering. Elisha makes fun of their god as to its delay. Finally, Elisha calls time and then makes his own wood and bull offering harder to the Lord to set fire and consume by pouring water on the wood and having a trough of water around the whole thing. Then the contest resumes between the two gods and their prophets. At the time of the offering of the oblation, the prophet Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God of Israel, and I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned your hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought down them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and killed them there. Uh, it did not happen immediately, but soon enough that day the rains fell. Ahab ran off to Queen Jezebel, and Elijah took off to Jezreel. The last three verses of the story are 1 Kings nineteen, one through three. Ahab told Jezebel that Elisha, what, all that Elisha had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent messenger to Elisha, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and he fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. This ends the Bible story. In Kings, um, we now have the Psalm 72, verses 1 through 4, and 12 through 14. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor people. Give deliverance to the needy and crush the oppressor. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has a pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. We'll remember that the early church was not welcomed by most of the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, when this begins, those leaders in Jerusalem had already ordered them to stop preaching in Jesus' name. This order was broken, and the offending disciples were arrested in Acts, first chapter 5, verses 27 through 33 and 39 through 42. When they had brought him, when they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We have given you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have, fulfilled, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill Him. They were convinced by Him, and then they had called the the apostles, they had them flogged. I'm sorry. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill the disciples. At this point, a respected Jewish leader named Gamaliel recommended that they not be jailed but left alone. His argument carried the day. The story ends with these verses. They were convinced by him, and when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus, and they let them go. As they left the council, the disciples rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. For those who are able, please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's gospel is Matthew 21, verses 12 and 14. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him in that temple, and he cured them. Here ends the readings for today's service. Um, The Word of God for the people of God.
0: First, Thanks for listening to probably the most scriptures I've ever had us have on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And thanks, Jen, for reading, pinch-hitting for Karen. Our rebellious heritage. Whose heritage? Ours, as people of God, and for citizens of the United States, ours as Americans, too. Both the Church, Capital C, and this nation have a rebellious heritage. They're definitely not identical, nor to be confused with one another. But if we dig a little, there is some relationship. Of course, most of us celebrate living in a free country in two days, Independence Day, July 4th, 1776, is when the Second Continental Congress passed the Declaration of Independence. It followed such acts of theft or violence as the Boston Tea Party. In the battles of Lexington Concord and Bunker Hill. Those, in turn, were provoked by what the Declaration calls a long train of abuses and usurpations. Have you read the Declaration recently? Parts of this historic document are quite striking and strident. After declaring that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, which include life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, it continues, that to secure these rights, the rights that come from God, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the governed, from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. All experience hath shown that mankind are are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, It is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having the direct object, the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these United States. Now, it goes on to list this long train of abuses including the colonists' petitions to redress their grievances, only to be answered by repeated injury. In its closing paragraph, it says the Congress is appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. The rest is history. Rebellion is what started this nation on the road to becoming a sovereign nation, even though it was only for the primary benefit of white male landowners for some time. I lived a long time before my attention was alerted to Frederick Douglass's powerful 1852 address, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July. This does not mean... Any rebellion against the status quo of the United States is a legitimate one, no. There is a segment of America that loves to fly the flag of the Continental Army, the don't tread on me flag, also from the revolution, and claim 1776 was alive again on January 6, 2021, on the storming of the Capitol. That rebellion, contrary to their belief, was not against the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states, but rather was in service to its hopes, the hopes of that establishment. But there are times when it takes a rebellion to expand some rights. Out of the Civil War came constitutional amendments, ending slavery, and seeking to create and preserve equality under the law with an eye towards the black Americans newly freed from slavery and then on. Remember the 19th Amendment? Passed by the Congress June 4, 1919, and ratified on August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment guarantees all American women the right to vote. According to our National Archives, I quote, achieving this milestone required a lengthy and difficult struggle victory took decades of agitation and protest that's a peaceful rebellion against an unjust status quo and the civil rights movement was not far behind this country has a rebellious heritage against injustice now our biblical stories today are a mixed lot but they do confirm that people of faith both are jewish forebears and Christ followers of the early church stood up against what was wrong, often what was spiritually wrong. In Elijah's case, it got both personal and spiritual slash political as his rebellion in favor of the first commandment for Israel got Queen Jezebel to put out a contract on him. Your ruler is out to kill you. She'd already been killing Yahweh's prophets. That's why Elijah said, I, I alone am left. Elijah's rebellion at Mount Carmel, this contest with the prophets of Baal, was orchestrated and agreed upon with wicked King Ahab and the prophets of Baal. During a drought, whose God would hear the pleas of his prophets and prove his superiority, or being the true God, by consuming the offering. Baal, moreover, was believed to be the god in charge of the rains, which watered the land and brought forth vegetation. The Asherah was like the female counterpart. It was a fertility religion. Elijah's intent was to demonstrate that Yahweh was the Lord, so the misled people of Israel would return. And if that happened, that would also undermine Queen Jezebel and her persecution of the faithful. In the end, it was all in service to the Lord and against God's enemies on the throne who were guilty of drawing Israel to stray to these other gods, breaking that first commandment. Now, Elijah paid a price for it, we know, but often doing right when authorities think you're wrong does cost. Jesus also made his protest. This one in the outermost court of the temple because it was spiritually wrong to exclude the gentiles who sought out the lord god of israel that was in what's called the court of the gentiles and because of what was going on the week before passover selling the animal sellers and the coin changers changing money to give you the correct coin to pay the temple tax it was making it too loud and too noisy to even pray to approach the god of israel and so What it was wrong to exclude the Gentiles in their spiritual search for the convenience of Passover pilgrims to pay their temple tax by their sacrificial animals and probably get cheated in the process the den of robbers in service to commerce those running the temple precincts who green lighted that desecration of the court of the Gentiles for money and for convenience were spiritually, religiously corrupt And Jesus would not let it go. He took it on and dramatically rebelled against this misuse of the temple where Yahweh was believed to dwell. You and I are familiar, too, with the story Jen read of Peter and his group of disciples who said no to the Sanhedrin and high priest, who had said no to their preaching anymore about Jesus. This was not a rebellion against government, per se, but the Sanhedrin did have authority over Jewish people as a kind of court. There were temple police. Now, the Spirit anointed the disciples to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, accompanied by healing, and that got them into jail. The men committed civil disobedience by this preaching, and they peacefully accepted going to prison, but when out again, defied the Sanhedrin's orders again, supporting the status quo, and kept on teaching and preaching. And in those oh-so-important and halcyon words, Peter told them, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And say, isn't that what the Sanhedrin is supposed to be about? Obeying God? No wonder they got so furious they wanted to kill them after Peter said that. That was cutting a little too close. Americans, Christians, and Jews have a heritage of standing up to unjust circumstances or long trains of abuses that propel rulers to despotism. For the biblical folks, there was always a profound spiritual motive behind their rebellions. And that also was the case for Gandhi, martin luther king jr for archbishop oscar romero and countless nameless others who said no to unrighteousness that righteousness might rise up and god be glorified adam taylor is the new president of sojourners he just wrote an article called when should christians break the law in it he quoted mlk's letter from a birmingham jail and Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail was really addressed to the moderate pastors who were saying, ah, oh, don't push so hard, don't do this. And so this is part of that letter. He writes, One may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. To put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. And Adam Taylor returns, King is clear. The justness of a law or policy is based in whether it uplifts or degrades human beings. In other words, does the law or policy affirm human dignity or deny it? Does it expand who is included in we the people or shrink it? Does it promote the common good or suffocate it? But while we disobey unjust laws to obey the moral laws we have been given by God, there's a flip side. As both scripture and king make clear, when human laws do serve the common good or restrain evil, we should obey them. Which brings you and me, we rebellious people, back to why you or I stand up to what degrades other people. The Code God Wishes for God's Rulers, found in Psalm 72. This, is, to me, is one of the most important sets of verses in the psalm, if not the whole of Scripture, because it kind of lets us know what kind of rulers God wants to have. And it's where people of the book and the founders find common ground. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. It continues. For he delivers the needy when they call the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and preciouses their blood in his sight. There is a spirituality under God and a way of governing that uplifts the most vulnerable and shows wisdom and compassion. It undergirded the declaration to a point. It surely informs peaceful labors and peaceful protests that aim for programs, laws, and systems so that they would uplift everyone, especially those needing redemption from oppression, poverty, and violence. We have a rebellious heritage, and that is good news in the name of Jesus. Amen. And that will do it for our rebellious heritage for this Redheaded Preacher podcast. I do hope that you enjoyed um, my inclusion of quotes from the Declaration of Independence as well as those from Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail, and also Reverend Adam Taylor of Sojourner's, his, his comments on King's writing. And um, I was glad to find them. I, helped, I believe they helped clarify where I was going. And I hope they helped clarify things for you too, or at least maybe you were just blessed to hear some of those uh, old words from 1776 again. And be uplifted again. May we all be given and pray for a spirit of discernment when we have to make decisions about what is just and what is unjust, whether to speak out or to do something that is within the gracious and peaceful and yet sometimes challenging and demanding will of God as we are given and pray for the knowledge of God's will for us as well as the power. Carry that out in Christian love. Thank you once again for tuning in to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast, the next one, which will be preached on July 9th. The topic is mercy and forgiveness. May God bless you and may God bless your week. Amen.
1: Like what you've heard, hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest editions to the Redheaded Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.